You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. things stirring on my heart and then I went up to my office right before we started and um, boy the Lord just really kind of shifted my thinking a little bit here on some things that we're going to talk about and I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2 I'll say he shifted it a little bit but um, I have so many things that I want to share and uh, there's only so much time to do it all so it's always Lord, what's the most important thing? What's the thing for the hour? So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is my favorite book. Uh, I think it is a, and I've heard many ministers say this, it's a blueprint for uh, a successful church. And for years in in Perryville, we have been uh, going through, we had for many years, went through the book of Ephesians. I would take the church through the book of Ephesians every year. Um, which would just be, you know, four or six weeks, something like that. But the reason I did it is because I believe, again, like I said, that it is a blueprint for a successful church. And I'm not going to do that now. I might do that sometime next year, actually go from, you know, chapter one all the way, all the way through chapter six. But uh, I want to hit something in particular here tonight. Um, there's a lot of things stirring in my heart that I, I want to share because there's a lot of changes that are happening. And some of you are brand new since Liz and I have been here. Uh, some of you are uh, here, and you've remained here through the changes that have happened, and I applaud you and thank you for doing that because uh, not everybody likes the new kid on the block. And people as a whole, they don't like change. And people, it's not that they fear change. They fear what they're going to lose when they change. In most cases, that is the truth. They, they fear what they're going to have to give up if they're going to change. But the truth is, is that if you don't let loose of where you have been, then you can't step into where you're going. It's a, tru- it's a truth. It's a, it's a reality. You know, you can't be unsaved and remain unsaved and and say, I want to receive Jesus and then not receive Jesus at the same time. You either get saved or you don't. The kingdom of God is either you're in or you're, you're out. So you're either moving forward or you're staying behind. Does that, does that make sense? And so whenever, we, for example, when we get born again, we come into the kingdom of God, we give our heart to the Lord. And what happens is that a lot of people get saved and then they don't move past salvation. And they stay at a place of being uh, born again and praise God for that but they just come in and then they don't progress or change or move or grow the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the Lord. And that is no way to live. We have the spirit of God living on the inside of us. And he is there to teach us all things whatsoever it is that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus ministered, the person of Jesus. And he didn't say anything except for what the father told him to say. And he didn't do anything except for what he saw the father do. Amen. And so we've got that same spirit that Jesus operated in living on the inside of us, and it should cause us to change. We should want to change and grow. And this happened about uh, four years ago. Uh, Liz and I really started to, well, really honestly, we had had actually, we, we had force changed. 
So you, you can have forced change or you can have proactive change. And proactive change is better than forced change. Because proactive change means that you're doing something intentionally before you're forced to have to change. And a lot of times we get in situations in life where because we don't pay attention and we aren't really asking the Lord, Lord, what do I need to do here? Then we have change that comes, comes upon us and it, it forces us to change. But it's better to be proactive in our changing, amen? And so we went through just some stuff. Everybody say stuff. Y'all been through some stuff, amen? We went through some stuff and it forced us to have to change that if I had been proactive in changing, I wouldn't have gone through some of the stuff that I did. And so from that point, we realized we have to be intentional about our heart. We have to be intentional about our thinking, intentional about our life in order to go from where we are to where God wants us to be. And so we apply that personally, and then we also apply that as a church. So in our own personal life, we've made a decision to live in a lifestyle of growth. And you know what? Growing is that you're amening. You're the only one. Me and you, baby. (laughs) Growing is not comfortable. It's not. Remember when you were, at least I did, when I was like 8, 9, 10 years old, I could remember my mom rubbing my my calves for like a two-year period of time every night because I was just uh, in agony because I had growing pains. Sometimes when you grow, it causes a little bit of a little bit of pain, but it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because we're here on this life, you know, on this earth and in this life, foremost to love God. To love him and be loved by him. But beyond that, we're here to bear much fruit and to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. If if we weren't supposed to accomplish anything, then we could have just gone to heaven. We could have gotten saved and just gone to heaven and just loved on Jesus and not had anything to do. But that's not the case. He left us here on the earth to bear fruit in him. The Bible says it's in, actually in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, we don't do to be. We already be. So because we be, we do. <laughs> right? We're not doing anything to try, to try to become something. We're already something in Christ Jesus, but because of who we are, because of the the workmanship that he's made us to be, that's the reason, that's the motivation that that we do things. So we have have stuff to do here. And I know for me that I went a lot of years with a lot in my heart and seeing almost no fruit. And what what happened and what needed to happen is I needed to change. And I needed to change my thinking. I needed to change some relationships. I needed to change the culture of my heart. I needed to change some things in the church. There were lots of things that needed to change. And so I had a little bit of force change. But once I, once I got shaken up a little bit, then I began to be proactive in change. And now, literally, every, every day, in everything that I do, I'm always looking to what needs to be changed, what needs to be improved? Where do I need to grow in? What things need to be reconfigured? What things need to be moved forward in? What am I doing that I need to stop? What am I doing, uh, not doing that I need to start? What am I doing that I need to improve in? So everything in our life should fit and, and, and we should fit those, you know, our things of life into that. We need to start, we need to, to stop some things or we need to improve some things that we're already doing. And it's not to get God to love us or anything goofy like that. But it's just a matter of having 
uh, good produce in our life. You know, people, us, people, are made in the image of God. How many of y'all understand that? And God uh, made us to bear fruit in him. And actually, even before, you know, the whole church age came into existence, he made human beings. And when he made Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, be fruitful and multiply. He automatically, because it's in him, and he put it in mankind automatically that it's embedded in us to bear fruit. But the enemy is a fruit stealer. And if he can be, he's actually a seed stealer. Because if you can steal seed, then you can steal the harvest. And you won't even see any kind of produce in your life. And so the deal is, is that a lot of the things that we, we need, and, and you know, we might have the seed, we might have you know, a word from God or something like that, but we may not be seeing the produce and things that we need. And it's probably because we need some adjustments to happen in our life. This is actually, I was kind of, I was toiling because I didn't really want to minister on this. Because this is usually, you know, every preacher likes to hear when they get done, good job, man, yeah, I'm so encouraged. But when you tell people, you need to grow, usually they walk away and they go, ah, oh, you know, I just, <laughs> because you know it's true, right? Come on now. This is the truth. Uh, take off your steel-toed boots. I might step on your toes just a little bit tonight. It, it'll be okay. Uh, but if you don't have proactive change, you will have forced change. You're going to face things in life that if you don't proactively say, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to stop doing this, or I'm going to start doing this, I'm going to make this new uh, good habit in my life, I'm going to break the old habits in my life, whatever, whatever it would be, you could throw anything in there. If you don't do that, at some, at some point, what you're doing that's not right or what you're not doing that you need to be doing that is right, it's go, you're, going to, uh, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to be forced to change at some point anyways. Might as well be proactive and, bear, and, and reap all of the fruits and the benefits of just doing what you know you need to do. Amen. And so when it comes to the, the church, this is, and I, and I guess I'm, I'm saying this on a, I'm talking about the church in particular because I'm constantly trying to get people to understand my heart, to understand how I'm wired and what we're doing. And a lot of you guys, you don't know me very well. And so I'm doing my best to try to lay things out and, and get you to understand uh, what makes me tick, I guess. Uh, but basically, uh, years ago, and even though I really didn't understand it, years ago, like I'd say nine years ago, the Lord spoke to me, and he began to define success to me. And like any pastor that would be starting a church, and we planted the church in Perryville, and in my mind, it was like, hey, in six months, we're going to have 300 people or whatever, you know. Here we are 10 years later, and we still have, you know, you know, we've got however many, 150 people. If they all showed up maybe at one time, we'd maybe have that many. Um, but about nine years ago, and, and I'm all for growth. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm believing for great numerical growth in this upcoming year because we want spiritual growth and numerical growth. You want both. Both are healthy to have. Then we've had numerical growth over the years, but the Lord spoke to me and he said, what, and he posed it as a question. He said, what is success? And he, he asked me that, of course, he wasn't looking for an answer. He already knew the answer. He wanted me to get the answer, so I would know. And uh, so I began to just do some digging and praying, and I basically came up with this answer that success is just doing what God tells you to do. If you do what God tells you to do, you're successful. And so I, uh, I worked and have continued to work to take my eyes off of looking for having a big flashy church or big flashy churches 
which I'm fine with numbers. I want numbers. Please don't misunderstand me. You have more people. You can do more things. You can reach more people. You got more money, all of that stuff. I'm down for all of that. But numbers don't equal success necessarily. Jesus was the most successful minister ever, and he had times where everyone except for the 12 turned and walked away from him. So if it's about numbers, then Jesus was not a very good minister. But of course, he was the best. And so it's really just about obeying God and doing what God is telling you to do. And so fast forward to about, I'll say about between three and four years ago, the Lord just opened up our eyes. You know how sometimes when you get it, you'll get an epiphany about something, right? It's kind of like a light bulb coming in. You walk in a room and it's dark, you turn on the light and all of a sudden you can see everything. We didn't realize that for years we had been, we had been pastoring but we had almost kind of been leading from behind. I hate to use that term, I guess, but we kind of been leading from behind and we were not proactive in moving forward to help people grow spiritually. And a, and a shepherd's job, a shepherd's job actually is not to reproduce sheep. That's the sheep's job. If pa- pastors have babies, they're just preacher kids. <laughs> they're, whatever, I don't know, however you want to say it. But when sheep have Babies, they're more sheep, right? And so it's actually the pastor's job not to reproduce sheep, but to reproduce what's necessary in the sheep so they can be healthy to reproduce. So my definition of success is to put in people what they need. So what I've found, and I have a reason for saying all this, what I've found is that that has either made me really appreciated or really I don't want to be here anymore. And that doesn't hurt my feelings. I mean, well, it probably does a little bit, but, you know, you you work through it, right? And so we've had people that we walked through, walked with for years. And then as soon as we, and you guys were there too, and you guys were there too, as soon as we said, we're changing, we're moving forward, we're growing, and I had to use my pastoral authority and deal with some knuckleheads doing some knuckleheaded things. And as soon as I did that, everything was real shaky for a while. And then it planed out. And then in the past year, we have had more growth in our people than what we've had all of the nine years previous combined. Am I accurate about that assessment? You guys would agree with that. You'd agree with that. And so what happened is we started being proactive about what we needed to to do, about what the Lord was saying. And for me, I just stopped really caring about what people thought and what people said. And I figured, you know, if I got people that don't like me and call me a cult leader and, you know, all those kind of things, I mean, I don't say anything like what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus is like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Could you imagine if, if a pastor said that today? My God, Jesus. They would stone him. I mean, that's just, you know. But people just say and do the things that they want to say and do. But the truth is, is what we're interested in growing and changing and moving. And anything that you are going to get a hold of that God has for you. You can't get it staying in the boat that you're in now. You have to make a choice to step out of the water and begin to trust him and move forward. Amen. And sometimes that requires faith. Peter had to step out under the water and, you know, you could imagine the thoughts that were racing through his head. He knew it was possible because he saw Jesus doing the impossible right before his eyes. And sometimes that's scary for people to step out of the boat and say, I'm going to do something that I'm uncomfortable with. You know what? 
I am actually now, you can actually retrain your whole being to do things different than how you've been doing. I'm now, I am uncomfortable if I go more than a day or two or three without having thoughts and, and things in my heart and things relationally with me and the Lord or whatever, if I don't see any growth there, I get really, really uncomfortable. I've actually reconditioned myself to change all the time, every day. I'm not saying, you know, huge changes, but it's just a constant pattern of, of growth that we want to do. And so in the church, we have something that we're going for. We're actually not just here and we put these things up here on the wall and minister and do the different things. It's not just random, like, well, let's just throw some stuff up there and see how it goes. There's been like a lot of heart and vision and many, many, many hours developing things to develop people. And we're not done yet. It's, it just continues to evolve, if I can use that word, into being better at equipping people. But that, that's what the church is here for. It's here to equip people because the Bible says that the fivefold ministry, and that's my term, but apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so I got to a point as being in the fivefold ministry, I got to a point in my own life where I was like, Lord, I don't want to not equip people because that's actually what I'm called to do. My calling is to help people have the tools and be able to use the tools that, that God has given them to be able to do the work of the ministry. And you know, if you look at that in Ephesians chapter four, it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. And you know what I found is that two things have happened since I started getting some things in order. Two things have happened is that one is that people have become more equipped, but two there was unity and edification and love that started happening in the church. Most people, this is what the Lord spoke to me recently, just this past week, is that the vast majority of people, I, let me say, I won't say that the Lord spoke it, but I'll just say my eyes were opened up to like, this is an actual reality. Let me say it like that. And I would estimate that anywhere from 80 to 90% of Christians do not know what it's like to be in a healthy church culture where people actually love each other, they actually care for one another, and there's not bitterness and anger and wrath and gossiping and backbiting going on. 80 to 90% in my estimation of Christians going to churches do not know what that looks like. And I'm here to tell you that God is rearranging, shaking things up and setting his church in proper order. And the only way he can do that is, I mean, just to do it, but the only way that we're going to be a part of it is for us to just continually say, yes, Lord, I will allow you to shake me up. I will allow you to put your finger on things in my life that have actually caused me to be a part of the problem and not part of the solution. Because I know for me, I've been places and I've been at different times when I was part of the problem and not part of the solution. And I had to humble myself and allow God to say, Kent, you need to change in this area. You need to grow in this area. You need to change your thinking in this area. And that's, that's what we need because here is where we're going. Ephesians chapter two, and we're gonna look here in verse 19. And I think we probably got it pulled up on the screen if I'm not mistaken, Ephesians chapter two, 19, and we're gonna read through 22. And I want you to see this. And it says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, when I look at people that are believers, which is you people, it's us people, and they come into the household of God, which is this place, I take it serious what happens inside the house. 
Do you know when in our home, we don't have a perfect home. Um, I'm an imperfect father, imperfect husband. Um, Liz, I think, is perfect, but because she has to deal with me, you know, it just it is what it is. But we've got four boys, and none of us are perfect. None of us, none of us do everything right. But there are certain things that I literally do not tolerate inside of my home. Now, I'm not saying that occasionally they don't happen, and, you know, i got to bring the hammer down or whatever, but I don't allow fighting and bitterness and backbiting and, and things like that to go on. But, you know, that goes on in the vast majority of churches. And I, I began to ask the Lord about this years ago, and I'm like, Lord, what's going on with this? And there's, there's several different things that can feed into that. The biggest thing is just bad culture because you have to be intentional with culture. This is why one of our core values is love. If you're walking in love with people, there's no room for backbiting. There's no room for fighting. There's no room for de- devouring one another. There's no room for having roast pastor on, well, we come to church on Sunday night, so whatever, uh, maybe a midnight. There's no room for having the pastor for a midnight snack. You know, there's just... There's just no reason to do that kind of stuff when you're really walking in love. Hallelujah. But one of the things I just came to determination, and this is strong language, but just get used to it because I I think strong people uh, make strong people. That's what I think. That doesn't mean you have to be mean or crash or harsh, but, uh, you know, we want to be strong in the Lord. He's interested in the strong people. He's interested in a church that's not weak. And in fact, Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One of the things I've learned about stopping backbiting and things like that is that when I look at people that are in the church, they're no longer strangers and foreigners, and they're coming in and saying, I'm a part of this household, then as far as I'm concerned, they're under my jurisdiction. And whenever they want to fight and gossip and, and devour and whatever, they either change or they go. Now, I'm not saying this because of anybody in here. I, I think you, you guys are all wonderful. Nobody's starting any trouble, okay? All right? I just, I'm just throwing this out. These are some things that I've learned. And you know what? It's interesting is that I've had people saying things like that over the years. They get offended. Some, only some. And the ones that get offended at that are usually, let me re- strike that, are always the ones that would cause the problems. But the ones that value peace and love and honor within a group of people, they're like, thank you. When I put my foot down years ago and I'm like, enough is enough. It was a little bit gradual, but I got a little bit more stern and intentional with we're not going to allow this kind of stuff. I had people come to me and they're like, thank you, pastor. Thank you. Don't be apologetic at all about what you're saying. Thank you. We're tired of the, the nonsense. And then finally, it was roughly about a year ago that the last bit of people that were causing the problems finally left. And now for almost a year. It's, I'm not saying we don't have any problems over there and talking about in Perryville. I'm not saying we don't have any problems, but there's peace. Wherever you got people, you're going to have problems. Even me, if I'm in the room, you're going to have some kind of problem because I'm, I don't have it all figured out yet. But there's peace. And you know, most people don't know. And I, ha- I got a vision in my heart of having a church that was at peace to where people weren't angry and mad and upset and offended and, you know, backbiting and devouring and being unforgiving and unloving. I had a vision of having a church that was like that. And after years of not knowing what to do, and then coming into some revelation, and then taking a couple of years and actually appropriating that revelation, now we're, we're in a place to where, again, it's not perfect, but we just, I don't, I don't deal with stuff like I used to deal with. So here's the reason why that's so important is because there's a commanded blessing on unity. 
I value unity amongst people, and, and love and unity are just, they're hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other. But in specific, I value unity maybe more than any other thing. Because when you see people in, in the scriptures walking in unity, you see them doing great things. The day of Pentecost, it says that they were all in one accord. That didn't mean a Honda. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's a horrible joke. I don't even know why I say that anymore. It's, it's like, yeah, 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 we've heard that. But there's a reason why it says that in there. It's because when they all were in one accord, then the great thing happened. There's something about being together and being one with each other and being in a covenant relationship with one another. People, the, the westernized church, and you'll hear me say this till you're blue in the face, and then you'll come to really just appreciate it and go, thank you for sharing that. But the, Western, the westernized church, and I'm not against westerners, I'd be a westerner, right? I mean, we're, I'm American. I love being an American. I'm not against Americans. But we really don't understand covenant. Not like when you, when you read in the Word and you read things about, about covenant, we don't, just our culture really doesn't understand it. But covenant is all about, now most of the time when there was a covenant established, if it was really established in the Lord's eyes, it was most of the time there was shedding of blood because it was the measure of covenant, the seriousness was as serious as somebody's life or something's life. And so God's not interested in killing people, but he would, he would often have uh, animal sacrifices to say, this is a, this is a level of, of blood that we're, we're establishing this thing. And, and we just don't really understand that in our culture. And I'm not looking to sacrifice animals so that we get a proper picture. Let's just get in the word and read it and we can get a good understanding that way. Amen. And that's fine. But uh, cult, I mean, um, uh, covenant requires sacrifice. Real covenant requires sacrifice. Liz and I have been married for 17 years, and we have a better covenant now than we did five years ago. We, have a better, we had a better covenant five years ago than we did five years previous and when we first got married. And the reason is, is that every time that we've had an opportunity, and I'm just using us as an example, to hit something that could destroy us, one or really both of us always made the decision to put the other one first. Why? It's because we value our marriage, which is a covenant. It goes deeper than feelings. It goes deeper than emotions. It goes deeper than giftings. It goes deeper than, than drive. It goes deeper than ambition. It goes deeper than than skill set. It goes deeper than anything you could say in this life. When you are in covenant with somebody, you will literally do anything. You will sacrifice anything for the sake of that covenant. And see, the church doesn't understand this. And that this is why you can have people that will come. And I'm not, I'm not coming. I'm just setting a precedent here. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not coming against anybody, all right? But you can have people that will come, and we've seen this for years, they'll come, they'll come in and out, or you know, they'll come in and they're like, I'm here. And usually when people come up to me and they'll hear me preach one time, and they'll be like, Pastor, I am with you. I'll tell Liz, it won't be long before they're gone. And it's almost always right. It's like something like they're trying to overdo it and, and prove something, but their heart's not really there. It's like they want to establish things just by their mouth, but their heart's really not there. It's weird. Anyways, 
I've learned to think better about people. I'm like, praise God, I'm, I believe you're with me, even though I'm struggling at the moment to believe it. Because <laughs> when you hear that enough over the years, and then people just turn around and they dart, it's like, you don't, you don't understand covenant. First of all, you shouldn't make an agreement with something before you know that it's right to make an agreement with it. But once you do, your words should be binding. They should be binding. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't uh, release people or call people different places. Those, those kind of things happen. If, if that wasn't allowed, then it would be cultish. But man, the real, real ministry is raising people up, training them, and releasing them into whatever the Lord has them. Some people will stay, many will stay and be a part of that healthy, vibrant body, but many, many will go, missionaries will go, other churches will be planted, all, that's, all, that's all healthy stuff, but, and it's right stuff. But when it comes to your relationship with church people, it should be as binding as the blood of Jesus because that's what brought us together in the first place. We should literally... When it comes to saying anything wrong, negative, um, uh, damnable against any other person, we should literally consider it a, a slap in the face to God to do anything like that to any of God's people. That's how, that's how we should view it because that's how God views it. He laid down his life and Jesus prayed, Lord, I pray, Father, I pray that they are one as we are one. It was his, he was praying the Father's will that, that the church, the people would become one. And I'm telling you, this is, rev what I'm telling you is revolutionary. But I know it's right because I'm living in the fruit of it. I, I appreciate Donna more than you could possibly know. Because most people in her position would have been looking for a pastor to come and take over. And I hate to use that word, but whatever. Just come and do what we're doing for a church that had huge numbers or that had a huge following or whatever. That's not what she was looking for. What she was looking for, first of all, what was the voice of God saying? What was the Lord saying to her? But second of all, is, is there fruit there? And she examined that there was good, positive, right fruit. And that's a good reason to move forward like we have moved forward. And I appreciate that about her more than I could possibly ever explain. Because that's, that's a kingdom mentality. The kingdom mentality, God, God is all about bearing fruit. He was all the way from the garden. He's always thought that way. And you fast forward to the church age, the age we're in, in now, we're supposed to bear fruit in God. But there's reasons why we don't. And the biggest reason why we don't, the single biggest reason why we don't, is we're just unwilling to change. Liz said it earlier is that, you know, God's, God's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to change. And I agree with that. He doesn't just come in and force you. Now, there's times when the Lord will really ring your bell and get your attention. I've had him do that many times. And we, we went through a season to where we were having dreams. And, you know, I always thought about dreams and visions and stuff. And I thought it'd be amazing. And it really, it was supernatural, but it was not fun. It was deliverance. The Lord was delivering us from our own issues. He was delivering us from wrong thinking, from bad relationship uh, effects and, and soul ties and just uh, immorality and just he did this with the whole church and uh, it, it delivered us from it. And I'm th I thank God that he did it, but it was difficult, but it caused every time we would have a dream. And I would be surprised if we don't start having an uproar of dreams in this church. That actually would surprise me if we don't have that. But what happened is, and it, and it was so cool because it wasn't just me and Liz going, oh, we had a dream. Nobody could deny the move that God had done in our midst. Nobody could deny it because everybody was having dreams going, what does this mean? 
And then when we would have people help interpret it, it was like, oh man, God knows my business. He loves me, but he knows my business and he wants me to help get beyond where I'm at. That's awesome. Do you know why I have come here? I have come here for a move of the spirit. That's the reason that I'm here. I'm here for a move of the spirit. I don't want to move to Kent. I don't have enough I don't have enough desire to stand in front of people to have a move of Kent. We have had enough super dupers running the churches and stuff for years. That stuff needs to come to an end. And we need the spirit of God to take center stage and do the work inside of his people that really need to be done. And you know what? That's easy to say. And we can say yes and amen to that. But when the Lord comes and he speaks to you and he, see, listen, the Lord is interesting. And Liz and I were looking for the language for this. But the Lord is really interesting, interested in not uncovering or exposing. Let me say that. He's not interested in exposing people's stuff, but he is interested in shedding light on it. The things that have held you back and held you bound, the wrong, it could be anything. You fill in the blank in your own life. The Lord is interested in shedding light on that. He's not interested in exposing you because God's not interested in shame and embarrassment and things like that. So you have to make that right, that right dividing line. But if the Lord is going to come in and do a work, God only works in the light. Thank you. Thank you. Let me say it again. I'll give you an opportunity. God only works in the light. He doesn't work in darkness. The enemy works in darkness. And there's been too many works of darkness happening in churches for too many years, and it's time that it changes. But the only way that it changes is, is if the people that are within that church say, yes, God, I have a vision of something bigger and greater. Because there isn't anything. Some people ask me, they're like, why are you so pumped up about the church all the time? Because Jesus was pumped up about the church. I already quoted it once, but let me say it again. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe in a powerful end time church. I believe the end time church will be the strongest church or the strongest um, time in the church's history. Whenever Jesus returns, I believe the church is going to be at its peak. And if I'm wrong, then I'm going to be wrong all the way, all the way until the time that he returns or I die trying one of the two. I believe in the church. I believe it is the answer for the lost and dying world. There isn't another answer. The church is the answer. But if the church is sick and, and broken and impoverished in their thinking or even in financially or any of that, or they're in sin or they've got all these issues going on, how can they possibly minister to a lost and dying world? How can they have influence in areas that God wants them to have influence in if they're stuck in bondage? They can't. They can't. So I take the, the business... God's, if I want to, if I could say it like this, God's business, God's kingdom business inside the church, very, very serious. I like to have fun, but I take it really, really serious. I have to pinch myself sometimes and be like, whoa, slow down, relax a little bit. I learned this a couple of years ago about having relaxed intensity. Someone gave me that word. They said, you need to have relaxed intensity. And I'm like, all right. And I feel like I've been doing pretty good at it. Would, you would agree. Yeah. So I've chilled out a little bit, but my heart is still burning and yearning for what the Lord wants us to do. So let me finish reading this in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 2. You all still with me? It says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, more coming on this in the days to come, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, now listen to this, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
uh, every word in there is extremely important, but let me read this verse 22. It says, in whom you also are being built, everybody say, together. together. All right, let me read it again, and when we get together, I want you to shout it out. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You want See, the Lord, he, he dwells inside of each one of us. But there is, and I don't know another way to say it, and you can certainly find it in Scripture to back this up, but there is a, there is a if we can call it a corporate, not like a corporation, but like, like the corporate gathering of the saints when all of the family of God come together and they come together unified, they're actually making a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And the reason isn't because they have such strong gifting or strong anointing or great ability. It's because they've sacrificed themselves enough to come in and prefer one another. And when that happens, it gives a platform for the Spirit of God to come in and do a great work. And that great work could look like a bunch of amazing services where people are jumping and dancing and shouting and climbing the walls or whatever. I'm fine with all of that. But the real uh, fruit of revival is a transformed life. Because I've been in circles before where people were doing all kinds of crazy stuff and they walked right out the door and they weren't any different. Who cares how great the service is if it doesn't change your life? The fruit of real, true, Holy Ghost revival is a transformed life. And I believe that the greater measure of the presence of God resting upon us in our midst because we are together unified because we prefer other people over ourselves, the greater we have a manifestation of that, the greater revival we will have in and of ourselves. Because there's something about the coming together of the, the real coming together of the saints. Not showing up on a Sunday night, and I'm not saying you guys are doing this, but it could look like this. We show up on a Sunday night and we go and we sing the songs and we hear the message and we go home and we don't give, really give a rip about anybody else and we don't give a rip whether we really changed personally or not. We just went and kind of paid our time and we did it and you know we go on about our business and we got a little bit blessed and we maybe you know threw some money in the offering plate or whatever it was and thank God for all of that. But what about being changed? What about growing? What about God transforming us from the inside out? Because when we, the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You don't work to get it, but once you get it, you work it out. You've got everything you need. You've got the full package. You've got all the full deal on the inside of you when you get born again. But why in the world do we live so far below the way God made us? I know. I know one reason. I know. It's because we won't allow God to change us. <laughs> He's, he's called us to be a living sacrifice. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is that good, to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. All of that starts with this, being a living sacrifice. He's not called you to be dead. It's kind of an, what would you call it, an oxymoron or something? Is that the term? Whatever.
Okay. Get rid of all those batteries. You have my full blessing. <laughs> so last time. Uh, anyway, she's called us to be a living sacrifice. It's kind of an oxymoron because God hadn't called us to be uh, dead. He's called us to be alive. And so it's like you go to the place of constantly dying while you're alive. That's what we're called to do. And when you do that and you're in a relationship with people, it doesn't matter what they do, what they say, what they think, what they believe, how they treat you, what they said about you, what they say about you, how they treated you before, or how they might treat you in the future, because you are covenant-minded, and you are dead on the altar in your flesh, and you are here for a move of God, not a move of you. And if everybody just gets to that place, it, it literally would fix everything, because that's how God thinks. You realize that God doesn't think wrong? I know we know that, but have you ever stopped and thought about that? God doesn't think wrong. He thinks perfectly. And how he thinks is covenant. Covenant with people. You know how we know this? Because you don't lay your life down for something that you don't really believe in. And we have the blood of the new covenant through Jesus. What was the covenant there for? It wasn't just so we could go to heaven it was an example of how we're supposed to live. It was an example of how we're supposed to treat people. And it was an example, I really believe, because see, heaven's perfect. Heaven's perfect. But we're living on earth, and the goal should be is that the longer we live, the more we mesh the reality of heaven and the earth situations that we're in right now. Church should be a utopia. It shouldn't be something you dread to go to. If you do, you're either doing it wrong or you're in the wrong church. Amen. Uh, I didn't get to anywhere that I wanted to, but I did get to a lot of things that the Lord, the Lord wanted to. And let me say this. Let's go back to verse 21. Y'all give me seven more minutes. Great. Verse 21, it says, In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but buildings don't grow. <laughs> I know some people might say, well, mountains actually grow. Well, okay, whatever. In our span of life, if we chisel out a brick and then we put it on a building, the building is set. It doesn't grow, right? So how is it that they're being fitted and then they grow? That's just how the kingdom of God works. But I want, you to, I want you to see something here. It says being fitted together. You know what happens before, uh, we'll just say bricks are fitted together? They're, they're cut. I guess they're probably, they pound them together. Here's, a, here's Corey people right here. They know this stuff. There's a lot of pounding and breaking and chiseling and fitting to where you actually fit in with everybody else. And once you have a group of people that are fit together jointly, knitly by him, then they can start to grow together. It's what it appears to say to me right there. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I want God to rest. I want him to rest and move if he's got to shake and move and 
and chisel off and knock off, beat off. If he's got to punch me, which he wouldn't, but if he had to, I'm willing because whatever he has, whatever his spirit has, that's what I want. Let me give you a couple examples in the word, and I'm going to close with this about what, what this looks like. And these are whole series in and of themselves, each one of these. I'm going to give you just a few things here of what this looks like. But one is over in uh, Luke chapter 5. I'm not even going to take time to go there because I want to hit these quick. But Luke chapter 5, it, it, talks, about, it talks about having new wineskins and that you don't put new wine into old wineskins. And the reason you don't do that, well, we don't even understand that language, but I had to go and look it up and see what the heck this was talking about. But whenever they would put wine into wineskins, into to new wineskins, that the new wineskins expand because the wine in there has gases in there that cause the wine and everything and, and air and stuff to expand. And if that wineskin is already expanded as far as it can expand, if you put new wine into the old wineskin that's already been expanded, when it goes to expand, it won't. It will break and you will lose all of the new wine. We're like, God, we want to see a move. Lord, we want to see something great. God, we want revival. Amen. And the Lord's going, you, you can't handle what it is that I want to do because you are stuck in your old ways and you will not allow me to change you so you can hold the new thing that I have for you. There is revelation of, of getting a hold of things that were of our past and carrying them with us. And that's fine. There's so many things I've learned in my past that I'll take with me to my grave because they're revelation, it's wisdom, it's awesome stuff. But the Lord always has new things that he's wanting to do in our time, in our day, and with the people that we are with. But if we are stuck, still thinking like we used to, I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that the Lord won't do it because he's a good steward over his new wine. And if he gives us more than what we're ready to be able to receive, it's just going to ruin the thing. Many of revivals have been ruined because of flesh. I could go through many, many things, make, talk about many things, and I won't for time's sake, but have been ruined because people got in the flesh because they actually weren't really prepared for the things that, that were happening. And I think God was probably, I'm sure, tried to prepare them or whatever, but, you know, man gets in the way and weird stuff happens. And the goal isn't to have a revival service and jump, you know, run out and say, man, that was awesome. The goal is to sustain a move of God in your heart, in your family, in your church, and in your entire region. It's not to just have a move of God. It's to sustain a move of God. Let me give you another example of what it looks like for changing and when the Holy Spirit is changing or requires change. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, can we pull this up on the screen? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9 through 15. I got to read this. I have to read this. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. These were the things actually that the Lord put in my heart uh, right before service, these few things here, and I, I want to make sure and hit these before we go for tonight. Everybody doing okay? Everybody else not doing okay? First Corinthians 3 and 9 through 15. I didn't give the guys in the back this, and I try to do that, but sometimes I don't always give them what they need. But I'm going to start reading here. Hopefully they can get it. First Corinthians 3. 9 through 15, it says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, 
You are God's building. You'll see this over and over and over and over and over through the scriptures that he relates people and kingdom things and kingdom business and kingdom realities and kingdom culture to building and growing. It's apostolic in nature, and I'll get into more of that in the days to come. And it says, uh, now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The, the foundation that Paul laid was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody should be doing any kind of ministry or anything unless they first have a real revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, is the gospel of grace. There isn't another gospel. Just go read Galatians chapter 1 several times if you don't believe that, and it'll really mess you up in a good way. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. When it's talking about the sword, it's talking about it's talking about like wood, hay, straw, I think is what it said here, or if it's gold, silver, precious stones. So in other words, if it's something that's lasting, which is eternal and of God, or if it's something that's just man stuff. Because whenever you've got something that God has made, God has done, fire only reveals and purifies even more so what God's done. But whenever it's of man, it just gets burned up. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Praise God that even when the fire comes, it doesn't destroy the workers and it doesn't destroy the people of God. It might destroy some of their works, but it doesn't destroy the people. And I don't know about you, but I want what I'm doing and why I'm doing and all of that to be tested by fire and be found to be pure. Fire is for the sake of burning off what doesn't belong. You know what we need? We need to daily be in the fire of God. So what doesn't belong is burnt and has gone away. You know, you can take something, if it's combustible, like a piece of wood, you can take something and you can light it on fire and there is a chemical change that takes place to where it is impossible for that thing to go back. If you have something in your life that needs to change that you need to stop going back to, you need to set it on fire with the fire of God to where it is no longer available to you any longer. Then we see there's a picture of washing, which I'm not going to even go in and read the scripture verses, but we've got the water of the washing of the word that brings about cleansing, that brings about change, that brings about a revealing, that brings about all of those things. And then the last thing here I want to mention for about two minutes, let's go to John chapter 15, John chapter 15. In verse 1, is anybody getting something out of this? So if we want to get to a place to where we are a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, we have to be willing for the Holy Spirit to bring about the fire, to bring about the water, to bring about the, the new wine skin, and we also need to allow Him to bring about pruning. 
John chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. Notice that if there's a true vine, that means there can be a false vine. What are you tied to? I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I want to say this. There can be an extreme look on this view that I, on this verse that I don't think is probably a right view, saying that if you're not doing something for God, you're going to hell. That would, that would be equivalating your salvation to works, and that would be inaccurate. So there's a lot we could talk about in this verse. I'm not going to get into all the details of this, but just understand that it's not a good thing if you're not bearing fruit in God. And the only reason you wouldn't bear fruit is because you're not tied to him. Because if you continue reading, which I'm not going to take time to do, the only way you can bear fruit is if you're tied to him. So the issue isn't bearing fruit or not. The issue is being tied to him. Because if you're tied to him, you will bear fruit in him. Amen. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch, listen to this, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Bill Johnson says it like this. He says, the reward for bearing fruit is pruning. (laughs) You do a great exploit for God or you have great things happening in your life and, you know, this, that, or the other. Awesome. Snip. (laughs) But it needs to happen because if something is going to grow properly, it must be pruned. I'm going to do this here, here, and here. If something is going to grow, going to grow properly, it must be pruned. Yeah. If something, this is your chance, is going to grow properly, it must be pruned. You guys actually were the smallest and yet gave the best amen. But I said it three times just to say it for three, the sake of saying it three times. Pruning is necessary. Pruning is necessary as an individual. And it's also necessary as a church. That's not an excuse for, because since we've come here, uh, we've had new people come in and we've had some of the old people leave because uh, they don't like it. And you know what? Sometimes that is, and I love people, and I, I don't, unless someone's being overtly ridiculous, I never, I never push people away or kick people out. Never. I just have learned to work with people and love people, and I want to grow people up and help them. But when people don't want that, they get pruned out. If there's no pruning going on, <laughs> I just think it's usually a seeker-friendly church. Because any true, any true move of God, and whether it's just inside of someone's heart or it's in a whole entire congregation or whatever it is, it will bring about fruit because revival brings about fruit, it brings about good stuff and blessing and stuff, but it also brings about pruning. And when there's, whenever there's no pruning that's taking place, I really question the work that's going on there. Because as far as I can see, whenever we bear fruit in God, he prunes us. And it's not, to, it's not people are like, well, that's to keep you humble. Well, I guess, you, I guess it could do that. But more than anything, it's to help you bear more fruit. Because there's things that need to be burnt off, washed away, cut away, thrown away in order for us to bring on the new that God has for us. But we have to be willing to allow him to do it. I'm over my time, which is normal. 
But you, you just, I just got to say what I got to say. So I don't get to see most of you for another week, but I gave you a lot to really think about. And you need to know this. When you see people go, go away, you, you have to know this. It's not because secretly I've been in a meeting with them and I've just been tearing them to pieces. <laughs> Sometimes people, they just, they just don't want to grow and change. They just don't. I'm here for a move of God. I'm not, I'm not here to appease people. I fear God as a shepherd more than I fear people. I'm God's, I'm God's shepherd. I fear doing what I do and not giving people an opportunity to grow and change. I literally cannot put my head down at night if I've not done that job. It's not, all, it's not that I'm always about like, oh, let's bring the pruning things in every week. You know, I'm not, it's, it's not, I don't want to be mean like that, all right? But it's just the reality of what, how we're supposed to live. It's a kingdom reality. Because Jesus is all about the kingdom. He is, he is the kingdom. And anything that's in him that's bearing fruit gets pruned. So it's just an expectation of life. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.